Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Tuesday. Today, we're going to talk with uscfootball.com beat writer and columnist Dan Weber. We've got to catch up with him. It's been a couple weeks. Talking about this USC football team, all kinds of stuff been going on. You guys have sent in a lot of questions, so we'll try to get to all of those. Um, if you want to send us a question, that's a great way to get a hold of us. It's a great way to get your thoughts, and we'll put them on the show. And any questions you have, we'll do our best to answer on podcast at uscfootball.com. That is our email address, or if you want to leave a voicemail, a couple different ways you can do that. 641-715-3900, extension 816646. Or you can go to our website, com. Click on the left side of the page from your computer, your device, and leave us a voicemail. Try to keep them brief. And we will definitely play them on the air. You can also go to iTunes.com slash Peristyle Podcast if you want to subscribe via iTunes or any other podcasting app. And you can leave us some positive feedback there. That would be great. Good way to propagate the show to other Trojan fans. So appreciate any feedback you can leave us. And uh, send us an email podcast at uscfootball.com and we can get it. All right. Well, let's bring in Dan Weber. And uh, Dan, I've been a little under the weather. We wanted to get you on last week. I'm still trying to recover. Everyone seems to be sick nowadays, but hopefully you're feeling good and, and ready to talk some Trojan football. Yeah, I think the, the the break's coming at the right time. I think, uh, you know, everybody kind of wants to figure that, I guess kind of the end of the season is is the signing, National Signing Day, and everybody takes a deep breath. Although I'm thinking the USC coaches, we've been trying to talk <laughs> Talked to him for about three weeks now. He tried to, you know, say, okay, well, we'll wait till after the National Signing Day. I know with all the new coaches, they're doing an awful lot of evaluation, a lot of film study, a lot of talking to guys. So uh, they haven't uh, haven't taken any time yet. To, uh, I guess we're probably not really high on their list of, of priorities at this <laughs> point in time. But, uh, but I do think, you know, a lot of what they have to do, especially by Clancy, Pendergast defense is really figure out who goes where and which way are they going to, you know, tilt the defense in terms of, uh, I thought the thing he did so well a couple of years ago was that he fit the, his defense. It was a combination. His defense, defense, easy for me to say, his defense fit the personnel and he had personnel that fit his defense. And I think that's going to be a big part of, you know, what's happening here is making sure they've got everything, you know, maxed out in terms of matching up uh, personnel with uh, with what you want to do with them. And uh, so I think there's a lot of a lot of that going on. So I don't think they're getting a a breather and a, you got to figure in that time period a lot of those guys, well, I don't know if they move yet, but they've got to relocate at the very least even if they're not, you know, bringing in the moving vans and all that. So uh so there's a lot going on. And, uh, I know Max Brown is out there, you know, working with some of the guys, uh, one-on-one stuff mostly, because they said they hadn't really gotten into the, you know, the whole playbook thing and what it's going to look like or not. And so they're just basically, you know, running basic stuff. Um, and, uh, Max said once they, uh, once they get into the seven on seven and start looking like they know what we're going to do, uh, he said, yeah, we'll be glad to, you know, have you guys come out and cover it and all that. So. We watched him a little bit, but we told him we'd uh, we'd give him a little space to kind of uh, get their act together here. Yeah, it's a transition time. It's been I feel like it's been USC football has been a transition for well, I guess for years now, but really the last several months, Dan. With you know, is Clay Helton the permanent coach or not? Then he was, and then the staff firings and the hirings and the the recruiting. It's just been there's been a lot of changes kind of going on with the program and. And I think the hope, Dan, is that spring football will kind of solidify a lot of things about what system's going to be run, who's running, who's doing what. It just, it just seems like they need spring football to come as quickly as possible just to kind of get back on track. Yeah, you know, and I, for some reason, this spring, I mean, we had a change every spring two years ago, but this spring, there just seems to be more anticipation, more, uh, a sense of, 
what's this going to look like? Uh, and I don't know exactly why there's a difference this time from two years ago, but there is. I think there's, uh, uh, you know, uh, among the fans and the players, there's more a sense of, uh, uh, you know, this is going to be a significant spring. And uh, looking forward to it in terms of, you know, how's this going to work? Uh, and maybe one of the things, two years ago, I think there was a big emphasis on with a new strength and conditioning guy, you know, and Ivan Lewis and all that, there was a lot of emphasis on the winter workouts. I think this year the sense of this team is let's get to playing football. You know, as important as the winter workouts, and they're, they're doing some things that are a little bit different. I think they're more movement-related stuff and more uh, strength and conditioning stuff that mimics football action. Uh, so that you're getting, you know, some of the, you know, kind of a double hit with, with what you're doing and, and strength and conditioning. But I do, I just get a sense that there's really an anticipation of let's get out on the field and see what we're going to be doing, what we're going to look like, who's going to be where. And, and maybe that's because of the number of young guys who this is kind of their step up year, their second year, a lot of those freshmen, this is their year to step up and, and actually really make a difference so this can a sense this this spring is uh is significantly important and in, in, you know where usc football is going all right well i guess we should jump in there's a lot of questions and they're kind of all over the place dan because we're you know the, the there's pat hayden stuff there's uh signing day stuff so we'll kind of jump into it and just kind of see where it takes us and we'll start off with uh, our buddy melvin he said, I've seen mixed reviews on how USC did in recruiting. However, my question is, I noticed that USC picked up some defensive ends or pass rushers. Um, did we make a mistake and come up short by not signing some defensive tackles as opposed to pass rushers? If you agree we came up short on not recruiting a defensive tackle, do you think it's because of not having a defensive line coach until late in the recruiting cycle? Was that a factor? Uh, that's from Melvin. I just don't think there were that many available that were, you know, really natural fits. And if you're a defensive tackle and you're looking at USC, you think, man, they got a lot of guys last year. And I think that happened with the linebackers as well. I mean, you're going to a position where, boy, it looks like they really stocked up last year. You might go somewhere else. You know, and if it's, you know, USC was in something of a transition um, and, I don't know that, you know, that say not having a defensive line coach played into that because as it turns out, the defensive line coach they have now is the guy who was doing all the recruiting for the defensive line in, in Kenichi Yudizi. So I don't think that, that factored in. I, I think, you know, it was just, I think they, they really emphasized pass rushers, emphasized guys coming off the edge and felt like, you know, we've got four or five kids you know, they can play, uh, you know, play inside. They're not going to need as many guys inside with Clancy, uh, you know, pulling one of the, the down guys when they, uh, when they play the nickel and, and they get the kid from Long Beach, uh, uh, junior college, uh, I think could be really, uh, you know, I think he could be the sleeper of the class possibly. So, so now I, I'm not one of those people that thinks, geez, that, there's a kind of a downside about this recruiting class. Uh, you know, I think for 20, 20 spots, uh, you know, they did, they did pretty well. Um, kind of a follow up to that. We have a question from Dan for Dan. Uh, he says, great show. Please ask Dan Weber what he feels is the biggest weakness of this year's 2016 recruiting class. We all know that it was a good to very good class. I would like to know what needs were not filled. See, <clears throat> Uh, hmm. when you look at the class, you got 20, you got seven in here already. Uh, you know, I know people would say, oh, they just got one running back, but, you know, I know he's the kind of kid you absolutely have to love, uh, and, and being able to, had they not gotten, you know, Vibe, uh, then I might have gone with, uh, with running backs, uh, but otherwise, you know, and obviously the number, there's not a big number there on the um, on the defensive line, but uh, when you look at the rest of their, you know, the way this uh, the roster is constructed in terms of 
how many players and how much talent they have in various, you know, years of the program. I think they kind of hit it, hit it about right. I know people think, wow, they over, overdid the wide receiver. And yet, you know, there's a chance you're going to lose, you know, three of those guys, maybe four of those guys, uh, for next year, after next year. And so I think they thought they really needed a whole new class to be able to replace those guys, and they just weren't going to take any chances that, that you'd have a whole bunch of, you know, the, the GGs and, and, and those guys leaving, and you wouldn't have enough people, you know, to replace them. So they felt like they had to maybe overemphasize uh, wide receiver. But, but yeah, I'm not I, – I didn't have the sense coming away from this class that there was anything that they just really – missed out on i i just i i i don't see it that way yeah i agree with you and i think if you read the war room uh gerard talked about that usc the goal was to sign three cornerbacks end up getting two so you can kind of make up for it there i mean like a devin asiasi who would be a bigger tight end um you know a, a real bulky tight end would have been nice you know someone that could have been added there and you know I, a, a freshman defensive tackle for sure um but there's you know there's a couple spots. It's not like there was some glaring weakness that if you didn't bring this recruit in, you know, it was, it was doom and gloom. So I think there were, you know, with only 20, you had to kind of pick your spots. And I thought that Clay Hilton did a really good job closing out and getting those targets. And it, USC in general, the last three years really has closed well on signing day. And the difference was this year, it was with Clay Hilton and, you know, a different head coach and with a lot of out of state guys, which is not easy to do. Uh, on signing day. So I think overall it was a, you know, a really good job. And there wasn't like you needed, uh, you know, to bring in a running back. Otherwise, there, you know, there was just, you didn't need to do that. You know, there was a few numbers that you might have liked one more here, one more there. But like, I agree with Dan. I don't think there was some glaring weakness. Yeah. I think this was more after the really strong previous two classes. I think this was more of a complimentary class. Uh, and, and with the numbers and, and, you know, still limited a little bit by, uh, the number of initial grants that can go out and that kind of thing. Uh, I thought it was, you know, in terms of a complimentary class with some real, real highlights and some real, you know, pulls out of Florida and Pennsylvania and, you know, places maybe you're, you're not always expecting that you're going to be able to do that. Um, I thought that, I thought, you know, I thought it fit in, uh, pretty much the way they needed it to. We had some, uh, comments and stuff about Pat Hayden, uh, stepping down. Both sides of it, Dad. Some people are, you know, happy. Some are sad. Whatever. I mean, there's different, you know, obviously people have different takes on this. Sir Eric of Troy wrote in. He said, I was extremely happy to hear that Pat Heaton is finally stepping down, but it bugged the heck out of me when he said he's proud of his accomplishments over the past six years. What exactly did he accomplish worthy of praise, especially when you weigh whatever he's speaking of against what we've wished he's done a better job with, i.e., the NCAA sanctions, his hiring practices, the embarrassment at Stanford, etc. Also, please help me understand why he personally takes credit for the athletes now having a higher GPA. How and why would that be attributed to him? I love the show, and it gives me a place to listen and learn things about my Trojans before, during, and after signing uh, after the season. Fight on and roll the tide this September. Sincerely, Sir Eric of Troy. Yeah, I like that roll the tide. That's uh, that's a good one. Uh, <laughs> I would say with Pat, I just think because of his, his own academic background, his own, you know, his road scholarship, for example, his, uh, serving on the board of trustees, I just think that's been something that, you know, he talked about and, and, you know, exemplified and, and all of that. And I don't, I don't have a problem with that. I mean, I think, you know, it's, uh, there are a lot of places where the athletic director might not even ever mention that. Uh, so, so I think, and I think the kids, you know, they like Pat and they respect Pat and they pay attention to Pat. So I think that's a good thing. I, I don't see any, any negative there, uh, of anybody ever saying, uh, you know, how, how proud they are about it and, uh, you know, the academics progressing in the right direction and, and they needed to do that. Um, uh, with regard to, uh, accomplishments, I mean, I think they will look and say, look, uh, USC had 10 NCAA championships uh, so far, which is more than everybody else in the nation except Florida's 11. So if you're the athletic director, you can take credit for that. I think they got the baseball program uh, certainly off of uh, ground zero. And, uh, you know, 
whether that you can say, well, but, 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 and you might be right. And, and, you know, some of it was of your own, some of those troubles were of your own making. And that's what makes it more of a difficult issue when we argue about, uh, looking at that, uh, at the history of past tenure is how many of the, you know, issues that USC had to overcome or that made life really pretty difficult, you know, for Pat in a lot of ways were uh, contributed to by some of the decisions that went through Pat. And uh, that's where, you know, people get, you know, riled up where they say, well, I don't care what happens in, you know, water polo or, you know, whether they started, you know, two women's sports or not. Uh, and, and people argue about that. They'll say, hey, they started, you know, women's lacrosse and beach volleyball. Well, what about softball? You know, why, why aren't there softball or uh, gymnastics? So, I mean, there's a thousand takes you can have on all of this. Uh, uh, and we're never going to resolve it. It's never going to be, you know, and the two that, that will make life difficult when you, if you're trying to say, wow, this was a great time, a great tenure, are the decisions basically not to, uh, contest the NCAA's ridiculously, uh, you know, over the top sanctions, which was clearly a hit job on USC clearly against the rules, the NCAA's own rules. And once that became known three years ago, uh, when the emails came out in the, uh, you know, L.A. Superior Court, the decision to turn your back and act like they didn't happen and act like there was nothing there is one that'll, you know, as the Todd McNair case goes on and on, it, it just makes it more difficult for USC fans to accept that. I think, uh, I think a couple of weeks ago we did a, um, uh, an update on the, uh, the fact that, yeah, the NCAA waited till the last minute and they, they've appealed the case in a, an unbelievably long shot to the state Supreme Court. And it was just like five or six paragraphs about what happens now. And they've like a 60 day time frame for the Supreme Court to, to act. And it was viewed 12,000 times on our website. Think about it. I mean, there are 12,000 people look, there are 12,000 times people looked at that to see what the heck's going on, which tells you there's a building kind of sense of people are really not happy with, with where this has gone. And I think the second thing that's, it's so tough and, 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 you know, evaluating past tenure is the, uh, the decision to hire Steve Sarkeesian and send, uh, Ed Orgeron on his way or hire Steve and over everybody else that they could have hired. And that one, that one's hard to take. And there's almost no way you can get around, uh, that decision. So those are the two things I think that, that have people riled up and you can understand why. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's polarizing, Dan, with, uh, with Pat Hayden and, and obviously with his health. I think everyone should just, you know, wish him the best. He's a Trojan legend. Certainly a lot of questionable stuff going on. I thought there was some pot, you know, Positive stuff when he was able to announce his, uh, you know, retirement because the recruiting class ended up doing really well. And then the basketball team was doing well. Now, you know, they get swept, uh, in Arizona, uh, you know, against the Arizona schools. I, I still think the basketball team has taken a step forward this year. Obviously it's a lot better than the last couple of years. Um, but they're, you know, I just feel bad when people just kind of rail on him. Um, and yeah. I, you know, I get that there's been a lot of decisions he made that were questionable or bad. Um, you know, I agree with it. I, I don't like a lot of the decisions he made. Um, and he's a smart guy. He loves USC. Um, and at this point when he, you know, he's announced his retirement and stuff, I just wish people would kind of wish him the best and, and hope he obviously uh, health is most important. Hope that, 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 re- that he retains his health and is able to kind of move on and, and help USC with the Coliseum and all of that. Yeah. I, I think the feeling that, you know, that we have is we don't agree with some of the things and we said so at the time and we probably returned to that the subject and yet you know i think it was coming up the escalator at, at the uh, marriott in san diego for the uh, uh pep rallies and what have you before the holiday bowl and they're coming around the corner right as i got to the top was pat and uh you know big smile you know how you doing let's shake it and and i think that's the way it ought to be for everybody i know you know you can pick 
this or that or the other thing. Uh, I don't think that's the time for for it now. I, I just think uh, let's you know do the best and, and move on from here, and uh, and not make it a personal thing, and not make it a mean spirited kind of a thing, and uh, just wish the best for for Pat and for USC, and let's uh, let's go from there. And, and it's just not worth having all that kind of pent up uh, you know anger. It, it, it's just it's time to be past that. Yeah. No, I agree with you. I mean, I, I think there were flat out wrong decisions made, bad decisions with coaching hires and all that stuff. But at this point, you're just kind of like, all right, what's done is done. And you kind of have to move on from it. But the, the, the Coliseum renovation, he's still going to be a part of that, Dan. And we actually had two questions about that or comments or whatever. So I'm going to read you both and then kind of get your thoughts on that. First one's John and Brea. He said, thanks everyone at the Peristyle for all the work you did during the recruiting process all the way through signing day. Great stuff. Seeing how Clay Helton and staff closed and the quality of the student-athletes who committed to USC this year, the sunshine pump is primed and ready for spring practice in the 2016 season. So that's good, John. He said, in the meantime, maybe we could talk about some of the trivial matters that might help usher in this new era. Now that Pat Hayden is moving on to lead the fundraising for the Coliseum Project, uh, is there any chance we can get this uh, help in moving the band back to the student section? I'm worried they will be moved outside the Coliseum in a few years. The atmosphere at USC home games need a big needs a big boost of energy. Having the band on the sky deck is really strange. Who decides where the band sits? Sits. Uh, thanks and fight on from John. And we had Garrett. Uh, similar line. He said, le- uh, le- reading the latest War Room, it stated that 140 million had already been raised for renovations, mostly through the sale of private suites. With that being the case, then I would assume that the the proposed Coliseum renovation design that was released a few months ago will uh, probably end up being what the final product will look like uh, as folks won't shell out big money unless they knew what they were getting. Uh, I am the only, I, I'm sorry, I am one of the many who are severely disappointed in the initial proposed design and think it would ruin the iconic Coliseum for good. I was hoping for a new proposal with major changes, but I guess with, by the looks of it, the first design is probably what will this end up being or pretty close to it. Is that how you see this renovation turning out or do you see some possible changes down the line thanks love the podcast from garrett uh, i'm not giving up but I, I was told that there are potential adjustments and uh i mean obviously they're going to be private boxes i mean basically you're not going to raise that money otherwise uh, and if you look at for example in la you look at staples center and you think gee many that's like six levels of private boxes and it does you know, at times, cause that place to maybe not be quite as uh, as loud as as other buildings are, and, and all of that, because you pretty much have to cater to your your audience, or at least you do. Uh, you know, you go where the money is. Uh, I just think they could do a, a better job of designing, adding, uh, building private boxes without taking away so many of the sideline seats. I mean, basically, they're going to, you know, on the press box side, pretty much just take out, uh, you know, the, the, you know, end zone to end zone seats, uh, it looks like, and, and put in private boxes. And and uh, there's an awful lot of people who've been there an awful lot of years uh, who are going to lose their seats. And I, I think I think there are other ways that you could add private boxes that have been done in lots of stadiums all over the country without taking out, you know, those prime seats of your prime fans that have been there, you know, and give them away to, you know, corporate interests or, you know, big money interests. And I think, and I'm hoping that message got through, uh, because the private boxes, you know, basically uh, now you're down to 77,500 seats, uh, the way, you know, it's being reconfigured. And I don't think that's a good idea at all. I mean, I think uh, in college football, Below 80,000 kind of takes you out of uh, the big time, and and I, I just don't think that that's the way USC ought to be going. I know it's a challenge, uh, you know, with the stadium, uh, you know, as old as the Coliseum, to figure out exactly how to do that, get the seats with good viewing sites and all that. Uh, but uh, but I don't think they've completely uh, locked into that that, that first design because I know they they know that didn't go over all that well and uh as to the band i don't know i've seen you know stadiums where uh you know the band in the end zone really 
does a good job uh, and, you know, really part of the action. I just think that feature of the Coliseum, it just doesn't fit. I mean, basically, they're behind all the, you know, whatever those, those things that look like stables, those, uh, those little suites, you know, where people are allowed to kind of hang out, you know, uh, you know, at, at little tables. Uh, and that's a bad idea. That's just aesthetically every other way. That's, that's a bad idea. Uh, how you close, you know, if you're going to have that end zone there, how you close, you know, cl- get it closer and, uh, and get the band more part of the, uh, the action. I'm, I'm not absolutely certain. I mean, you go to Ohio State and they enclose, they put in a, uh, an end zone in the horseshoe, uh, the opposite end from the curved end, and it's integrated into, you know, what was a horseshoe stadium terrifically well. Now, the problem USC has always is at that end, you don't want to do anything that obstructs the peristyle, like they did with those Audi suites, for example, that are, you know, just awful. So there are some challenges, you know, at, at the Coliseum, and... I'm just going to be optimistic that by, you know, people voicing their displeasure, uh, the message will get through that maybe, you know, we, you got to think about this again and come up with something better. And, uh, that's, I thought it was interesting when they revealed those in October, they didn't list a design or an architecture firm. And I, I, usually that's one of the big deals about when you, you unveil something like that, you tell, who was doing it, and it didn't look like anybody was credited with it, which <laughs> probably is a <laughs> is a sign of something. But uh, so cross your fingers and hope hope they get the word uh, that uh, you know. And I'm not sure if with the Rams coming in, I'm hearing that you know they're saying two to three years, and I'm hearing from some people it might even take a little longer to get that stadium, that Rams stadium built that there may be some ways, some really creative, smart ways of combining having the Rams come in with uh, some of the features that have to be, you know, reconstructed at the Coliseum. Let's just hope they really are able to get on top of this and be real smart about it and and, and get it done right. Yeah, I think the biggest mistake in the, the plans, Dan, is that you redesign things and you don't get rid of the sun deck. Like that had to be, I, I think what ended up happening is if you got rid of the sun deck, there was a lot of more structural things you would have to do on that peristyle end. And I, you could do it, but it'd probably be, you know, another hundred million or something to do it. And so it's like, well, we'll leave these crappy bleachers in the, in the end zone, which I, I just think if you're going to redesign, you need to get rid of that sun deck somehow. Yeah, I, absolutely. And that's why Ohio State looks so good because. They did it in a way that that end zone addition really looks like it's been there the whole time with, with the stadium. I think it would be more challenging to do it at the Coliseum, but, uh, gotta get that right. And, uh, yeah, just leaving it there. I mean, basically it's a high school, you know, it's a nice sized high school sideline, you know, metal, uh, you know, stands and, and that just doesn't belong there. I mean, that's just not any part of, of what what should be there i'm not you know not an architect but i know i know what i don't think should be there i'm not <laughs> sure i can tell them exactly what should be there but not that yeah no 100 percent agree all right let's uh we got some football stuff to talk about too josh wrote in he said i'm a long time listener and follower but this is the first time writing in well thanks josh Josh, well, good yeah i love the show always look forward to you and your staff's great insight uh anyway this question is for you or dan i wanted to know what goes into creating a new offensive playbook, especially with a first-time play caller in T. Martin? With uh, bringing on a fresh offensive staff, how do you get everyone on the same page? I imagine each position coach will want to input some ideas or how uh, on how they should do things. Do they all sit in a room and draw plays? Do they keep uh, a lot of the same plays we've been running under Clay and Sark? With Tyson Helton coming over from Western Kentucky, how does he influence the offense? And from what I've read... He has a great offensive mind. Thanks for all the hard work and fight on from Josh. I'd say, uh, yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, uh, they're all going to have input, I think. And that's, that's a good thing. I think, I mean, it was interesting. I thought 
got a little chance to talk to Clay after National Signing Day, and he was talking about uh, going back to something that I've always loved was that second half of that 2011 season when they got behind uh, Matt Galeo and they uh, uh, had Red Ellison as the, as the H-back and played him everywhere, you know, from the slot to wide out to motion uh, to fullback, and they're going back to that look. And I thought that was so much more effective than anything that they'd done, and, and Clay agrees, and they're going to have to, you know, get some of these tight ends. Uh, you know, I, I'd bring in Red Ellison, to be honest, and have him start tutoring those guys. But I thought that that gave him a chance to get that extra blocker who could also be a receiver in lots of different places. So that was just one little one little wrinkle uh, that uh, that he was talking about. I would think, you know, go on YouTube and watch uh, watch some of the uh, Western Kentucky games from this past year. I mean, they were two straight years, uh, you know, with all kind, you know, all kinds of offensive statistics. I mean, to be honest, I grew up in Kentucky. For Western Kentucky to finish in the top 25, I mean, this was a program that, I don't know, like five years ago was, uh, uh, you know, one uh, AA or FBS, uh, uh, or what is it, FCS, I guess, the football championship, uh, division. And, uh, and for them to, to get to where they've gotten to and to be as efficient on offense as they were, I mean, they, they did a wonderful job and I wouldn't be at all, you know, surprised or upset to see a lot of what Western Kentucky was doing, uh, 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 as a part of this USC offense with Tyson uh, coordinating the passing game and the quarterbacks and uh, and uh, Neil Calloway, the offensive line. And he's, you know, a longtime Southeastern Conference uh, uh, offensive coordinator at places like, you know, Auburn and Alabama and Georgia. And uh, and then you have um, um, T. Martin. I think you have a kind of a history with T. and Clay of what USC has been doing and what hopefully what they've done well and maybe what they haven't done well and having the knowledge of that history. And you can see, you know, all of those guys. And then Tommy Robinson, who I thought, you know, a couple of years ago handled the running backs, you know, just masterfully. And you put all those guys in a room, I think they're going to be spending a lot of time in the room uh, in terms of, you know, coming up with uh, – with the directions that they wanted to go, but I think they're also going to have to go through spring and see what 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 actually works and what what it looks like when you're when you're running it. And I think there'll be a kind of a spring playbook, and then I think it'll be revised. And I think this is what Clay has done the past few years as as the guy who revises it into the summer playbook, which I think that'll be uh, that'll be a you know T's job going forward. But uh, yeah, I think. Their ability, I, the chemistry and the ability of those guys who all know one another and have worked together and respect one another, I think that's a big part of, of putting this staff together. I mean, they go all the way back to the fact that Neil Calloway, <clears throat> when he was uh, coaching at Auburn, was the guy who recruited uh, Clay as a quarterback at Auburn. So, I mean, these guys have all kinds of you know connections that I think you know, it'll be really uh, beneficial in terms of going forward. I think if you had to look at what didn't work as well with this past staff was the fact that they weren't always on the same page, uh, more so on defense than offense. But I think this staff coming in has a chance to be on the same page, and I think that's that's really going to be important. Um, for the offense to work, obviously you need a quarterback, Dan. And so Tark had a question. He said, is it, important, is it important for Clay Helton to name a starting quarterback in the spring rather than letting it drag out into the fall? Yeah, I wouldn't call it dragging out. But, uh, you know, who knows? Maybe Sam Darnold will, will come in so strong that you just got to let it go. I don't know. Uh, you know, I think, I think they'll be fine in terms of how this, how this all plays out. <clears throat> I think if you happen to – Watch what they're doing now. It's obvious Max is is the guy uh, in terms of you've got to have somebody in charge. You've got to have somebody, you know, setting the times and setting the drills and all that kind of stuff. And that's Max. I mean, he's he's graduated for God's sake. He's 
you know, <laughs> he got his diploma before he got his first start. Uh, but, uh, he's, uh, he's the boss and, and I think you'd really gonna have to beat him out. Uh, but, uh, but I think they'll be fine in terms of how this plays out. I mean, he's just sort of the natural successor, but he's gonna have to win the spot. It's not gonna be given to him. I don't, I don't think at all. I don't think he, you know, expected to or wanted to, but he expects to be the guy. So, uh, but, but I think they'll be fine in terms of how, how it works out. I mean, Sam still, you know, has it, hasn't played a game yet and is a, uh, you know, uh, a talented redshirt, uh, going into his redshirt freshman year. But, uh, but it would be a, a real shock if he were able to, you know, totally put, put it into a situation where you're really not sure. And if that's the case, that probably is the good news there is probably that he's playing really, really well. And you'd probably say, well, that's pretty good. Yeah. Uh, let's uh, switch to the defense. Got a couple questions there and then a couple more. We'll wrap it up. Um, we have Tom in Chicago. So coming from the Windy City, how do the offensive, uh, how will the offensive, uh, excuse me. Let's say this again. How will the outside linebackers be used in Pendergast's new 5-2 system versus Wilcox's old 3-4? Will the basic setup uh, still be a rush end on the weak side with very few coverage responsibilities and a Sam on the strong side who is called upon to cover the tight ends in space? I only ask because I love to see both Gustin and Messina on the two edges, but neither has demonstrated a great ability to cover or play in space. Thanks and fight on. From Tom in Chicago. Yeah, I, mean, I think it, it's hard for us probably to take what we saw last year and transpose it onto what what we're going to see with Clancy. I mean, I think it's easier to try to remember what it looked like when Clancy was here with you know Devon Kennard and, uh, and J.R. Tavai and uh, and Morgan Breslin and how they played it. I mean, I, I think the key is going to be fitting guys into those spots and then adjusting how you play those spots for the guys that are there. I mean, I think that's one of the benefits of coming from the NFL. The good coaches in the NFL have the ability to adjust what they're doing to their personnel and your personnel, whoever they're playing. It's a genius of, of Bill Belichick, obviously. And uh, I think uh, I think so I would try to remember exactly how they did things, you know, with, with Devon and JR and, uh, and Morgan Breslin and that and see which of these guys. And I don't think they've decided all the, you know, in terms of who's going to be where, but I think it'll be more a case of instead of trying to, you know, pound a, a square peg into a round hole, I think they're going to try to figure out who fits where and what we do with them when they're there. Uh, so I kind of like that that take, whereas I think we always had the feeling that, you know, with uh, the, the last two years, it was more of trying to either take guys and fit them into spots and without a lot of flexibility or then saying things like, oh, well, I'm not sure we're, we're good enough to do that. Maybe we just ought to hang on and just stand around and hope hope they screw up or something like that, you know, and we can't take any chances or we can't, you know, maybe we can't play man as much as we'd like, or maybe we can't blitz as much as we'd like because we're just not sure if everything's going to go together. I don't think that will be the case with Clancy. I think Clancy's going to say these these are the, the guys that really fit what we're trying to do, and we're going to really try to do what they, these guys can do. I, I just, I like that, that approach. So that's how I would look at it more than anything. Uh, Corey had a couple things, one offensive, one defensive. Uh, he said on the defensive side, with limited big bodies on the defensive line, do you think Christian Rector or, uh, Kevin Scott will contribute next season? I don't know. Kevin is not a limited big body. He's a big, big body, but <laughs> you know, they've got a bunch of those big, big bodies and, uh, and Christian is, is the one thing he's always impressed with. He just was bigger than I ever expected when he came in. Uh, can he play with his hand down on the ground? I think so. I think, he, you know, he's not that, you know, far away from, from being that guy. So I think on, on that 
that defensive front, I think they've all got a shot at contributing. I think it's up to them. But, uh, you know, I think I'm, I'm a Lake Dorton. I think, you know, if you really want to, you know, do everything you can to get on that field, I think you'll have a chance. And, uh, and I, I think that's a good thing. Uh, so, yeah, I think those guys have a chance. I think they all do. And then he wants to know, uh, for Zach Banner and Chad Wheeler, once they leave the program, who do you think is going to be the left tackle and right tackle on the offensive line? Well, I mean, you've got to think Tuma is going to factor in one place or the other, Tuma Doga. Sure. And then uh, I think that will be determined a lot by, you know, what happens this year and what happens with the, uh, you know, E.J. Price kid, uh, you know, from Georgia. Well, that's actually two two tackles from Georgia, isn't it, I guess now, when I look at that. And uh, I think – those two factor in just size-wise, uh, athletic-wise, you know, uh, frame-wise and all that. I would think those will be your, you know, tackles of the future um, as we look at it. So, But I'm not sure I, I, I will absolutely tell you who's going to end up on which side. All right. I'm not sure we can tell you that for this year Yeah. <laughs> uh, in terms of Zach and, and Chad coming back and, That'll be interesting to see how everything plays out, you know, for Chad. And uh, I, I'm not going to predict uh, how that's going to work out. But, you know, probably nice to have a couple of guys that you could put on the left side if you think, you, you know, you need them there. And, uh, uh, but, yeah, I, so I think we got to get through this year first and see who ends up where and what that means for for the other guys uh, who are involved, but you know the chances are uh, got four pretty good uh, offense tackles. Yeah, we'll see. Spring that's why spring ball is important. Um, let's see. Bear Secutor had a couple questions for you. The first one was, Dan, it's been reported that USC a USC football player recently failed a routine uh, drug test. Could you describe what the drug testing? Regime policy is at USC, what is done by USC, what is done by the NCAA. And when these tests randomly, presumably, are done, this one seems to have occurred after the season was over. Yeah, and because of the privacy thing, we just, we don't get any information, you know, about that. Uh, USC is probably one of the best ones, you know, in terms of limiting that kind of information. And I think the NCAA does do some testing at bowl games. I'm not sure if it's all, you know, all of them or just the, uh, you know, the playoff game. But once we get back into action here and we have more contact with everybody, uh, we, we're going to pursue that and try to find that out, um, exactly what they can tell us. And how, how it occurred, you know, a lot of rumors and, uh, nobody's really been crystal clear. And USC will only say that, you know, that players, uh, you know, spot on the roster is, is being determined at this point. Um, so, you know, I wish we could tell you more. Uh, but I don't want to, you know, try to, don't want to speculate, you know, for something that we just absolutely don't have the full story on right now. I think we will by the time they, you know, get back in pads in, in, in the spring and we'll see where that, you know, where that goes. Yeah. Uh, but uh, not, just don't have enough information right now. Yeah, I agree 100%. Um, and one last one. He says, Dan, do you get the feeling this administration will be okay with Clay Helton just beating UCLA most years and winning the Pac-12 South, say, every two years? Is there any indication their ambitions exceed beyond this benchmark? It does not appear USC's coaching slash administrative staff budget is among the top 10 any longer. And consider what, and, and consider what team has won the national championship since the BCS was inaugurated that one plays in a stadium with less than 80,000 seats as indicated by the proposed Coliseum renovations and two has a head coach and an athletic director or an athletic director have no prior record of success in those positions. A little pessimistic attitude there from our buddy Bears. Yeah, I mean, I think this is why the uh, the athletic director selection is so important. 
I mean, there are people who would come in here, I think, and would be able to make the case that exactly what the case I think that you would like to have made uh, for this program. Uh, I think I think USC, for example, may not have the numbers. Uh, obviously, they don't that Clemson had or this past year, or that Alabama has, or that Ohio State has. I'm not sure USC did spend as much money as those schools did on staff salaries, uh, and not counting the coaches. I think USC's budget for athletic staff is pretty high. I just don't think they get a, you know, they don't get a lot of bodies for the for that budget because. Let's face it, they're spending $2.5 million on the athletic director. And you can hire a whole lot of, I mean, I, I think they showed uh, on National Signing Day, they, they went inside the Clemson program and showed a room of like 20 people who do nothing but social media for recruiting. That was it. That's what they do. Uh, USC doesn't have anything like that. I mean, it's not even, you know, remotely close. Uh, but... Uh, but I think USC probably spends, if not comparable dollars, <clears throat> uh, dollars that are in the ballpark in terms of overall staff budget, absent coaches. It's just how do you choose to spend those dollars? So I think that's uh, that's where a new athletic director, I think, it would you know come in here and, and see the possibilities of how dominant this program could be and what the advantages USC has over. Over almost anybody. I mean, uh, uh, just weather alone. I mean, look at this week and, and, and guess, try to guess what it's like in, you know, Columbus, Ohio or, you know, even Tuscaloosa. Uh, a lot of places where, uh, you know, the Florida kids seem to be discovering that, you know, USC's, uh, got all the same sun and none of the humidity or the, uh, or the bugs, <laughs> you know, and, and they're, there are advantages and, and, you know, the, the campus and where it is in Los Angeles and all that kind of thing. There are, and the, the academics, USC's got so much going for it that what you want, I think, is a new athletic director, uh, to come in and make that case to the university as a whole as to how beneficial, you know, this could be. And, you know, Stanford, for example, has made the move up in football, obviously, and they're not embarrassed about it. And uh, I, th- I think USC could, you know, absolutely do the same thing. And, and, and Notre Dame isn't. And uh, I don't think USC should be. I mean, I think they got scared with the whole NCAA thing and they were, you know, afraid that, oh, what's going on? And, you know, are we, you know, not going to be this academic, top 25 academic institution that, you know, we've set out to become or, and what's this going to do for fundraising? But I think, you know, you could make the case that USC – uh, you know, can be the USC that it that it's always been in football, and not give it an inch in terms of academics or uh, you know control of the program. I mean, you can have the program, you know, not out of control at all. USC doesn't have to be out of control to you know to be that kind of a great uh, you know college football program. But somebody's got to make that case, and uh, I think this is where you know. Some of, there are some athletic directors out there who would, I think, come in and, and absolutely make that case for USC. And, and, I, and I think it'll be an important decision. And it'll be a decision that'll tell you what are the people that run USC? What are they really thinking, uh, you know, in terms of the future of the program when they make, you know, the decision for the, the football, or excuse me, the athletic director? Because, you know, hiring a guy without a track record like Clay Helton, as much as, as, as everybody that knows him respects him and likes him and, and wishes him well, that sends one kind of a message. Uh, with the athletic director hire, they could send another kind of a message and, 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 and work that all, you know, together. And, you know, an athletic director who could really help Clay, uh, you know, develop, you know, as a head coach. And uh, I think... That's what we'd like to see. So I think it's still up in the air in terms of where this is going. But uh, I think the possibility that it's going in the right direction, much as it is on the field, 
exists at, at, for the university at large. But they got to do it. They got to step up and say, this is, this is where we're going and this is how we're going to get there and we're not going to apologize about it. All right, Dan. Great stuff. Thanks for coming on the show and apologize for my, uh, my still under the weather voice a little bit, but hopefully you guys can uh, deal with, <laughs> deal with it for a show. I think I'm on my way back, Dan. So we'll do some more shows this week, but I really appreciate you coming on and sharing all your insights. We had a lot of questions piled up for you. So you got through them all. Thanks. No, I appreciate it. And you picked the right time. I think, uh, <clears throat> you've got a couple of weeks to get geared back up for, uh, spring football. So, uh, we'll see, you, uh, back. After a couple of weeks of strength and uh, conditioning work, you'll be ready to go. Yeah, I got to hit the gym for sure. Yeah. <laughs> well, thanks again, Dan, and everyone else. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Peristyle Podcast. Hope you enjoyed the show, and we will talk to you next time. Most people know that buying or selling real estate is no small undertaking. Understanding the market value of your home, pricing, advertising, closing, and perhaps even selling personal property along the way are all examples of the real estate journey. And Michael Moline Real Estate has the experience to help make that journey an enjoyable one. Southern California real estate inventories are at historic lows, so there is no better time than now to sell your residential property. Whether you're moving into a bigger home or downsizing, personal property is often a component of the real estate transaction. Michael Moline Real Estate has industry expertise to help you with both your real property and your personal property as you get ready to transition. Michael Moline Real Estate specializes in properties located on the west side of Los Angeles and the southern San Fernando Valley communities. Allow Michael Moline Real Estate to give you a free comparative market analysis and home valuation so you know how much your home is worth today. Contact Michael Moline at michaelmolinerealestate.com That's Michael, M-O-L-I-N-E realestate.com You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 